Welcome to the Market Matters podcast by Emirates MBD. I'm Katija Huck, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Edward Bell, to talk about what has been happening in oil markets and the outlook for next year. Hi, Ed. Hi, Katija. We've had quite a lot of news over the last few days um, around the oil price cap agreed by the EU and also OPEC Plus's decision to keep production targets unchanged for the time being. Now, while we'll get into what all of that means uh, in a few moments, let's just um, take a look at where oil is trading right now. Um, We have seen a fairly sharp decline of around 15% in the Brent oil price since the start of November. Um, We're recording this podcast on 6 December. We're sitting at around $83 a barrel, um, which is quite a lot lower than where we were over the summer. What has been the main reason for the recent softness in oil prices over the last few weeks? Yeah, there's been quite a few big negative macro headwinds affecting the oil markets in the final months of the year. Uh, First of is the uh, persistence in China of maintaining the COVID zero policy. That's really interrupting uh, overall economic activity in one of the world's largest oil consumers. So obviously that's going to send a lot of negativity to the world's sentiment about oil and commodities generally. There are some early signs that that policy is being rolled back, but they're quite marginal in the past. The effect that they're going to have onto oil consumption, for instance, is going to be pretty limited, say, not having to get a PCR test to go to a public event. There's not an immediate pass through to the oil markets, but it is at least an initial first step towards more easing. Um, But beyond the uh, idiosyncratic issues going on with China, the pace of slowdown that is expected for next year as a result of the kind of monetary tightening that we've seen by uh, central banks across developed and big emerging economies is also weighing on the 2023 outlook and the the prospects for oil consumption. So most expectations are that we're going to see a much slower pace of growth, global growth next year, and that's consequently going to have uh, a negative impact on oil consumption. Is that a fair assumption to make? I mean, how much does oil demand actually fall in a recession? Well, certainly it's not a positive sign, right? It's not positive that you're going to have a slower growth, that you're going to have a really strong oil consumption that sort of they do track fairly closely. But it's not exactly a one for one move. So even if we had a slowdown similar to or recession similar to what we saw, say, in 2008-09 with the financial crisis, uh, oil demand did slow down. It did dip during that period, but it bounced back relatively quickly. So the overall impact was fairly minor, I would say, in terms of long term oil consumption growth. You know, I think we're going into next year and people are thinking back to what happened in 2020 in terms of a recession. That was extremely unprecedented and highly unusual. We're not going to go for anything like that. So if we have a kind of normal type of recession, what we saw in 08, 09, or in the early 2000s, the negativity for oil demand is probably going to be relatively contained. Well, that's uh, something at least. Um, Now, the other piece of big news that we've had over the last uh, week or so has been the EU agreeing on an oil price cap for Russian oil exports, and they've set that at $60 a barrel. Now, how exactly will this work and what does it mean for oil supply as we head into 2023? 
Yes, we had a couple of big risk events happening over the last few days. One was the price cap that you've mentioned, but also the imposition of EU sanctions on Russian seaborne uh, crude oil imports. So if you're in the EU, you can no longer uh, take delivery of a cargo of seaborne Russian oil. So that's a pretty critical market for Russia to be losing. But on top of that, we had the price cap decided at $60 a barrel. Essentially, the idea is for third-party countries, so ones not in the EU, they can still make use of EU-based services, particularly things like shipping uh, and insurance, provided that they buy Russian oil at that $60 barrel level or below. The idea behind this is to ensure that there is a relatively limited disruption to Russian oil supplies, given that uh, $60 is well above the cost of production in in Russia uh, and is actually above the cost or above the price where one of the main export grades, Urals, has been trading in recent days uh, and to try and also limit the revenues that the Russian government is getting uh, as as a result. So it's kind of trying to keep oil markets relatively uh, still well supplied from, from Russian flows. How it's going to work in practice is really uncertain. Uh, nobody quite knows who's going to be going out and monitoring whether or not the cargo was actually purchased at $60 a barrel or below, whether countries will be able to use this as leverage against Russia to try and get greater discounts um, for, for the imports that they might be taking. And Russia, for its part, has said that it will not participate in the price cap scheme. So anybody who is, let's say, taking use of um, insurance from one of the big insurance companies in the EU or the UK, which is also part of the price cap scheme, um, will try and push Russia for for that price at 60 or below, and they'll just say, we're not going to sell to you. So there's this kind of parallel oil market that may develop in terms of uh, Russian, ship it, Russian ships and Russian insurance companies that could be provided. So just to clarify, even if countries like India and China don't sign up to the EU price cap, they still won't be able to access um, the shipping services or the insurance services unless they are buying oil from Russia at under that $60 per barrel cap. Is that correct? If, if they want to make use of those services, then it ha- has to be at the 60 or below kind of level. Okay. So if they were able to secure insurances and shipping outside of the EU, then potentially they could still go ahead and import oil from Russia at a higher price. That's right. And if we look at the main sort of Asia-focused export grade that Russia produces uh, has a terminal on the Pacific Ocean. Um, actually, that price is much higher. That's closer to $80 a barrel. So that's the kind of grade that is traditionally oriented toward basically towards the Chinese import market. Um, that's a big gap from the $60 kind of level that has been agreed uh, by the EU for the price cap system. So whether or not um, they will make use of those services from the EU and G7 countries is a big unknown, big uncertainty, uh, and whether or not we'll see some convergence on those higher prices toward the price cap level remains to be seen. So we don't really know what the impact is going to be at this time um, on in terms of supply. But perhaps that was one of the reasons why OPEC Plus decided to keep their production targets unchanged uh, at the meeting last weekend. 
Um, was this a surprising decision uh, from your perspective or from the market perspective? Uh, I don't think necessarily very surprising, given that you had this big uncertainty about um, sanctions on one of the world's largest oil exports exporters this is really quite unprecedented. Uh, and how the price cap is actually going to be implemented in practice is really still quite unknown. So from the OPEC plus point of view, of which bear in mind, Russia is still a member of the OPEC plus alliance. Uh, this sort of holding fire or standby option and sort of watching to see what develops may have been the most prudent one to see how things are going to unfold over the coming months. And remember, we're going to have another ban on um, Russian refined products coming into effect at the end of the first quarter in 2023. So while we're just being seeing some uh, uncertainty and disruption to crude oil volumes right now, we're going to be going through this exact same process again uh, in the end of the Q1. Okay. Um, now, our oil price forecast at Emirates MBD for 2023 is $105 per barrel, um, which is a little bit higher than the average we've seen this year, which is uh, just under $100 a barrel. Why do you think oil prices will remain elevated next year, given all of these concerns around um, a global recession, um, you know, significant softening in activity, weaker demand, and potentially China still remaining under some kind of COVID restrictions, at least for the first part of 2023? Well, I think we've priced a lot of the negativity around a, if we want to use the term of a global recession, maybe a global slowdown. I think we've priced in a lot of that already, and that we've fallen from well over $100 a barrel to sort of the low $80 a barrel kind of range in the Brent market. Um, with all of those negativities, all that uncertainty about demand going forward. But as we said earlier, you know, there's probably going to be a limit on how much worse China is going to get in terms of the oil consumption story. So if they come back in a big way or they come back anywhere close to what we had in pre-pandemic levels, that's going to be a big chunk of demand coming back to this market very rapidly. When paired against that, we have a supply situation that looks very flat. Um, you know, the price cap is probably not going to mean a huge drop in Russian oil production, but it's certainly not going to mean higher Russian oil production and exports. And OPEC Plus is showing a much more interventionist stance towards the market. And is they said in their recent meeting that they basically be prepared to step in at a moment's notice to adjust policy as needed. And if they saw that oil prices were going south in a very rapid direction, we could expect them to see announce another big cut like they did back in October. You know, with OPEC plus, there is always the the issue that, you know, we get these numbers of, of 2 million barrel a day cut like they announced uh, in October. Well, not really, because not every producer is already hitting their target levels. So there's really limited freedom of action among the OPEC plus members who can actually increase or decrease production. But that in of itself is a supply risk going into 2023. So the supply situation from our point of view looks pretty flat going into next year. We're not really going to see much in terms of upside surprise in terms of output. Uh, and also, um, sort of to help support the bullish case, is we have this had this big draw in inventories this year. Uh, the U.S. and other big developed economies have made use of their strategic petroleum reserves to help offset the impact of high prices in 2022. And hey, guess what? Those have not been refilled. And going into next year, with this uncertainty about uh, oil supply. Even in the context of, yes, slower demand, that's a big risk that one of your main buffers, one of your main emergency tools has been eroded so much that if China comes back, 
you know, you got to forget about the U.S. trying to draw down on those reserves anymore. It'd be a very risky maneuver, a very risky strategy in terms of their ability to respond to prices quite quickly. So to summarize, then we could say the downside in terms of demand is already priced in. And the risks there are that demand is actually stronger than people are currently expecting because China could come back in a meaningful way. The recession could not be as uh, deep as, as some people perhaps fear. And then on the supply side, there's very little capacity to match any potential increase in demand because there's just not a lot of spare capacity in the system and, and Russia is quite limited in terms of what it can do. So really, the risks appear to be skewed to the upside in terms of uh, oil prices next year rather than on the downside. Would you, would you concur? Yeah, that's right. We've had some really unusual market reactions. Uh, I think when we we look at, for instance, price action that we've seen early in December, where uh, some of the U.S. data has come out better than expected. Hey, that's good for the economy. It's showing some resilience to um, the the sort of the interest rate hikes that we've seen so far this year. But oil prices sell off in response to positive economic data. So that kind of logic that drives those kind of market moves, I think, takes a few. Uh, mental hurdles in order to justify. But there's going to be a time where if we, let's say we get a a softish landing, if the Fed is able to engineer that in the United States, we could be in for a pretty rough road as far as oil prices go, given that there's not going to be much uh, room for maneuver. And as you say, the the risks do look still pretty skewed towards the upside. Well, I guess then, Given that oil is such a big driver of activity in in our region, it's worth taking a look at what uh, the oil price forecast of $105 a barrel on average for next year means for the GCC. Um, I suppose in in the sort of first instance, it means that there is more room for governments to continue to invest in the mega projects and in terms of developing the strategic sectors. Um, that we've seen this year. So we think that investment would continue. When we've done our estimates for budget break-even oil prices uh, in the region, um, the UAE and Saudi Arabia have the lowest break-even oil price for their budgets, and that's around $85 a barrel. So effectively, as long as Brent oil is above $85 a barrel on average through 2023, then those two big economies should be running surpluses, which means that there is, again, um, enough room for them to continue with their uh, mega projects and their investment plans. Um, and that clearly is going to support growth um, even when the rest of the world is, is facing a, a recession um, and higher borrowing costs are weighing on private sector demand and private sector investment. We will have this ability for the public sector to kind of offset that. Um, however, you know, a lot of the growth that we saw in the GCC this year was really on the back of increased oil production. So we saw oil production rise by around 16% across the GCC. Um, but now that we're in a, in a position where OPEC Plus is effectively on hold, um, we're not going to see that kind of increase in the oil and gas GDP um, in 2023 um, so in terms of headline growth, that will certainly slow next year. We're looking at an average of 3.5% GDP growth uh, in the region, and that's about half of the estimated GDP growth that we're expecting this year. But I think it's also fair to, to point out that if oil prices remain broadly stable, which is our baseline uh, scenario, then that's going to be disinflationary. Um, because so much of this year's inflation has been driven by higher energy costs. Um, that's simply keeping those 
costs flat will mean that the year-on-year increments falls to close to zero, which is quite a significant disinflationary force, not just for uh, developed economies, but also for us in the UAE, where again, transport costs have been a very big driver of, of higher inflation this year. So hopefully some relief for consumers in terms of um, you know less uh, aggressive increases in terms of transport and petrol price costs. And then obviously that feeds through to lower transport costs more broadly and hopefully reduces the uh, cost of moving goods around as well. So overall, I think, you know, um, an forecast of $105 a barrel for oil means that the GCC should be a relative outperformer in terms of growth globally. Um, and it should allow the budgets to uh, remain quite healthy, government spending to be sustained um, and, and help to mitigate the softness that we'll be seeing on the external side. Do you have anything else to add to that? No, I think that's, I mean, as you say, we've got a, a fairly robust outlook in terms of the the resilience of the UAE and the, the broader GCC economies to the uh, uncertainties that are affecting, affecting global energy markets as we go into next year. Um, and as you say, we do have oil price risks that are still looking skewed towards the upside. There could be potentially even uh, more benefit for the region, even though at a micro level, uh, I think most of us endure the oil prices when we go out and fill up our cars at the petrol pump. So there is a, a more tangible impact of that on, on consumer activity in the country now. Great. Thank you very much, Ed, for uh, your contribution. It's been um, really interesting. I think it will be very interesting to see how oil prices evolve next year, given all of the moving parts and all of the uncertainties. Um, If you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, please do share it and rate it. And we look forward to speaking to you again soon.